And welcome to today's edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of the Worcester News, and recorded on Thursday the 26th of August 2021 here at Colin Chance House. I'm Evelyn Brock, editor for this edition, and with me to read the articles are Moira Lowe and Jules Watkins. And a particularly warm welcome back to Jules. It's good to have you with us again. Thank you. Our sound engineer is John Plush, and we are ably supported by members of the admin team, led by Carol Hartle. A warm welcome to all our listeners, especially new ones, and I hope everyone enjoys our offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, including theatres, readers' letters, birthdays and thought for the week. Obituaries are still included, but following listeners' requests, the obituaries are nowadays placed in a different spot, following the closing music. So, if you wish to hear them, please stay tuned then. Don't forget that recordings are usually available as podcasts, but at present, talking books are not available on memory sticks, but rather on CDs and tape. Also, do let us know your birthdays so that we can greet you specially when the time comes. This service is free to users. But if you would like to make a voluntary donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR51DA. We do like hearing from you, and a message can be left on our answer phone. That's Worcester 01905 767766, or add a note to your wallet. If there's a problem with any aspect of your receiving recordings, please use the answer phone on the number I've just given and leave a message to that effect. There are no birthdays to report this week, so now I'll ask Jules to read the thought for the week. Thank you. The thought for the week is from Ephesians verse 5, 1 and 2. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Thank you. Now, the useful telephone numbers I mentioned. You've already heard the telephone number for Colin Chance House. The police non-emergency number is 101. Crime Stoppers is 0800-555-1. The Worcester Hub is Worcester 765765. The Worcester Live number is Worcester 611 427 
and that includes the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall and the Henry Sandon Hall. Malvern Theatres are 01684-892277, Out of Hours Medical Services, Treble 1, and Samaritans, 116123, and that's a free phone number. Now, I'll ask Moira to start the headline and headlines articles for us. Okay, my headline is from Friday, August 20th. I see every birthday as a triumph. A Worcester man battling terminal cancer is determined not to let the disease stop him living his best life. Ian Buchanan was first diagnosed with malignant melanoma back in 2017. And despite successful surgery, he was told the cancer had spread to the rest of his body. Despite being told the cancer could not be cured, Mr Buchanan said he was determined to continue life as normal. And next month he will ride 300 miles to raise funds for a cancer charity. He said, My condition is controlled by tablets, and if you met me in the street you wouldn't know there was anything wrong with me at all. I live a normal life. I also turned 60 this year, a birthday I never thought I'd see, and now I see every one of them as a triumph. When a mole I had begun to change and started bleeding, I went to see the doctor and had it removed after it was confirmed as malignant melanoma. A few months later, it was found that the cancer had metastasized and spread to most of any of my other organs. I decided early on that I'd ask once how much time I had left, but I didn't want to live counting down the months or sat around watching TV as it would probably kill me quicker. Next month, we'll see the retired account manager hop back on his cherished bike, attempting to cycle 300 miles in a single month for Macmillan, alongside his friend Paul Meredith. The challenge will see the pair take on the Dragon Ride, a challenge to complete four 100-mile cycle rides, one in each country in the UK. Covid put a stop to those initial plans, so instead they will be riding in England, Scotland and Wales for the charity, which provides support to people battling cancer and their families. He added, I've always enjoyed sports and go and watch the rugby and cricket when I can, and I'm a keen cyclist. I have completed a few hundred mile sportive events, and for the past few months I've been training for my upcoming challenge, which involves cycling around 300 miles in one month. Originally, the plan was to complete 400-mile bike rides, one in each country in Britain, over the course of the year. However, Covid put a stop to those plans, and now I will take on the rides in England, Wales and Scotland in September, which is a challenge in itself. The fourth and final ride in Ireland is expected to take place next year. The routes include the Brecon Beacons in Wales and the Peak District in England. They are all scenic and beautiful, but there will definitely be some tough terrain and some steep climbs. Despite the news that the cancer couldn't be cured, Mr Buchanan remained determined to continue life as normal, and that meant hopping straight back on a bike once he felt fit enough. A Macmillan spokesman said, We wish Ian the best of luck with his training, and will continue to follow his journey as he takes on the Dragon Ride Challenge next month. Thank you, Ian. If you would like to support Mr Buchanan's challenge, you can support him by donating through his Just Giving page at www.justgiving.com slash 
fundraising slash Ian hyphen Buchanan for question mark. For comprehensive cancer information and support, including Macmillan's latest guidance on the impact of coronavirus on cancer care, visit www.macmillan.org.uk. Well, this is the headline article from um, Saturday. What's the news, obviously? And it says, for richer, for poorer, um, wedding venue makes U-turn after plans for supplier charges labelled as greed. And it goes on to say, a wedding venue has been forced into an embarrassing U-turn after fierce criticism that new charges were pure greed. Curradine Barnes, one of the country's or one of the county's major wedding venues, sent out a letter informing businesses about a specialist list of suppliers who could have to pay who would have to pay ten percent of their fee to the venue. In exchange, the nineteenth-century wedding venue said it would encourage couples to use these suppliers and offer other benefits, including flexible setup and breakdown times. But couples booking suppliers not on the list would be charged a one hundred and fifty pounds administration fee for each supplier. After hearing of the news, Brett Cyril, a magician who runs Amazing Magic and who has worked at the venue, said, In 25 years in the industry, in all the venues I've worked at, I've never heard of anything like this before. After the pandemic, suppliers and the venue have been working together, sticking together to support each other. If every venue bought this, it would just destroy the industry, particularly for people like myself. It's wrong. It's just greed. Cotswold photographer Jessica uh, Raphael said... I am completely shocked and appalled. I have worked at Caroline Barnes numerous times. This will not work. It will be refusing. I will be refusing to work at Caroline Barnes from now on and advising couples in another direction. Suppliers posted on the venue's Facebook page hit out at the charges. Faye Dobson summed up the view of many writing, I am so disappointed in this company. There are plenty of well-managed, professional, supportive wedding venues that I will recommend my couples to. Greed is lack of one's confidence in one's own ability to create. But yesterday, the Shrawley venue, which charged up to £6,380 to hire, apologised in a post announcing it had scrapped the charge that had been set up, uh, introduced in January. In the post, Caroline Barnes said, Sorry, we got this one wrong. Caroline Barnes maintains extremely high standards right across the venue, catering and suppliers. The cost of doing so is very considerable and there is significant investment in the ongoing development of the venue to make it an even better place to hold a wedding and for suppliers to operate. The idea was to form closer relationships with the best suppliers who would make a contribution towards these costs whilst we would offer significant benefits in return, such as free marketing, flexible arrangements and on-site storage. Ultimately, we wanted to offer the best service to couples without increasing cost to them. Under the proposal, no, char- no charges will be raised to suppliers for any existing venue bookings or new bookings in 2021, only for new bookings from 2022 onwards. We thought this was a good idea and we thought the charges were fair and commercial. It's clear we were wrong. We have therefore taken the decision to scrap the proposed supplier charges. We are sorry for any concern this has caused and hope we can continue to work positively together moving forward and welcome the best suppliers to continue to offer services at Curradine Barnes. Now, Monday, August the 23rd, and the headline, Buses, Not Bikes. And the subheading, I won't bring this city to a standstill. The city's transport chief has hit back at criticisms he is anti-cycling, saying, 
I'm not going to bring this city to a standstill. Worcestershire County Councillor Alan Amos said he wants to get cars off the road but claims buses rather than bikes are the way forward. But cycling groups such as Bike Worcester have accused transport buses of running a business-as-usual approach despite both the city and county councils declaring a climate emergency. And the group say that although the council adopted a travel plan that aims to reduce short car trips in Worcester in 2017, journeys under three miles are at the highest they have been in history and the city's cycling infrastructure remains poor. Councillor Amos, cabinet member with Responsibility for Highways and Transport, insists that the council's policy must remain pro-choice. He said, I'm not in the business of forcing people to do what they don't want to do and adding to existing problems. There are those who are anti-car and demonised drivers, but they've got to bear in mind that the majority of those who are actually driving are doing something that is essential, like going to work or doing their weekly shop. My job is to facilitate that, and I've made myself clear time and time again that we support all forms of transport to the detriment of none. He continued, I'm not going to pass a law that will savagely increase congestion. I'm not going to bring this city to a standstill. For those reasons, we have to maximise the use of our road capacity in Worcester. Worcester is a very tightly drawn city. We've spent a lot of money, millions in fact, improving junctions, traffic lights and keeping the traffic going because stationary traffic is more polluting than moving traffic. Mr Amos said the council was resurrecting its passenger transport strategy for buses after it had been put on hold by COVID-19. He said... We want to get as many cars off the road as possible. It would make my job a lot easier and the main alternative is buses. Come October, we are going to have a bus improvement programme and we're also going to have an enhanced control over the routes, quality of service and ticketing. But to give the 13 to 17% of people who take the bus a better journey... They need free-flowing traffic and road capacity as well. So it's no good being anti-car and anti-road when the main alternative is buses. Cyclists have called for the introduction of cycle lanes and cite their success in other UK and European cities. And they have been backed up by central government, which has a policy of promoting more cycle lanes. The cycling tool recommended by the Department for Transport identified New Road, City Walls Road, Croft Road and Sidbury in Worcester as having space for cycle lanes. But Councillor Amos insists there isn't the space in Worcester. He said, My answer is this. Look at the main arterial route into Worcester, which is the A44. Or the others, like Newtown Road or Tolladyne Road, where are you going to get a cycle lane on any of those roads? It sounds good, but it's ill thought out. 
the new Southern Link Road that we're improving has cycle lanes all over and all the bridges are cycle friendly. Where we are building new roads, cycling provision is already included and factored in. I will happily consider people's proposals, but with such a small percentage of commuters travelling to work by bike, is anyone seriously suggesting that we take away lanes of traffic? There would be chaos. Making driving frustrating for people will not force them to get out of their cars and get on a bike. So I have to live in reality. Danny Brothwell, chair of Bike Worcester, said, The idea that there is no space is a myth, which is used as a barrier to change. There are other old cities in the UK that have redesigned space to enable and encourage active travel. There's nothing special about Worcester. I recently visited Carlisle, a city with many similarities to Worcester, which has a network of segregated cycle lanes in the city centre. What's missing is political will, vision and leadership. He added, with regard to transport, it seems to be businesses as usual, more roads, widening roads or redesigning roads to enable cars to travel with fewer interruptions. It's a shame to watch the county fall further behind more forward-thinking authorities. If nothing else changes, electric vehicles will have zero impact on congestion. With more housing, it will get worse. Okay, my story is from Tuesday and the main headline is overturned with a picture of a white Land Rover, or is it, no sorry, apologies, Range Rover on its roof. So there's a dramatic scene as a white Range Rover overturned on a main road following a three vehicle crash. The A449 Worcester Road was closed after a crash yesterday with public transport routes diverted. It was closed between the junction of Church Street and B4219 in Malvern. Police were at the scene around 8.30am and onlookers said nobody was seriously hurt in the crash. A spokesman for West Mercia Police said, Police attended a road traffic collision at around 8.30am on Monday the 23rd of August at the junction of Bellevue Terrace and the A449 in Malvern. The collision involved three vehicles and the road was closed between the B4219 and Church Street junctions of the A449 whilst they were recovered. Well, this is a story um, from yesterday, Wednesday, August the 25th, and it is entitled Struck by Car After Cash Stolen. The subtitle is Man Hit by Vehicle as He Pursues His Assailant. And there is actually a picture of um, a guy kind of sprawling over what looks like a a French car of some description. Possibly a golf, actually. Apologies. But yeah, there's a couple of shots from a, 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 a bystander there. So it says here, uh, cash was stolen from a man who was then run over in a horrifying attack outside McDonald's in Worcester. The man in his 50s had a significant quantity of cash stolen from him and was then hit by a vehicle driven by a suspect or trying to retrieve it. He was taken to hospital by paramedics after suffering a fracture to his ankle. A West Mercia police spokesman said, We were called to an incident at the Cross, Worcester, at just after 7.30pm on Monday, August 23rd, due to reports of a collision between a car and a pedestrian. 
Inquiries are underway to locate the vehicle and suspect. A shocking video has emerged on social media which captures the moment the man was hit by the car and dragged along on the bonnet before he falls underneath the moving vehicle. And finally, today's headline, overnight wait in A&E for results. And the strapline is patient sat for 16 hours after heart attack symptoms. A pensioner who suffered a suspected heart attack was left waiting 16 hours overnight at A&E. John Farr, 76, who lives alone at his home in Mallard Close, Worcester, was taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital at around 6.30pm on Tuesday, August 17th, after experiencing symptoms of a heart attack. He did not receive results until 11am the following day. Mr Farr was told there were no beds available and had to sit in the waiting room throughout the night. He said, The way I was treated was absolutely disgusting. I'm a 76-year-old man. To be sitting in A&E, not offered a drink or even a TV to watch, it was disgusting the way I was treated. I was called in at 11am. I was told the issue was because of beds, but then when I went in, there were three beds available. The doctor told me I have got fluid around my heart. It's possible I had a heart attack. Mr Farr was then kept in for the next two nights before being discharged on Friday. His son, Richard Lawrence, who lives in Kidderminster, dropped him at the hospital. Mr Lawrence said, Given that presumably Covid is no longer filling our hospital wards, why did my 76-year-old father have to wait 16 hours in the waiting room, spending the night sitting on a hard chair? I drove him to hospital after work. He had real difficulty walking into A&E from the car park even, had to stop for five minutes at the bus stop. The hospital was really helpful once he was admitted, but what a crazy wait. I know it's not a major NHS screw-up, but I just think it also wasn't good at all. Pretty poor, actually. He added, to be stuck on those seats and awake all night would push most people physically. The security guard went off shift and came back to work the next morning, finding my dad still sat in there. We are lucky to have the NHS and those staff who looked after my dad are not to blame. But I think there is an organisational problem somewhere. Worcestershire Royal Hospital was unavailable for comment. And now some of readers' letters, the published letters in the Worcester News. My first one is about the ongoing problem of seagulls and birds in general. Murder by gulls? Don't be ridiculous. Dear Editor, have people become so detached from the natural world around us that Gillian King, in her letter, Why Do We Indulge Gulls, August the 19th, they call seagulls murderers. The gulls are scavengers, as many other wild animals have to do to survive. 
The seas have been terribly overfished, so the gulls have had to come inland as humans have taken their natural food. I have never seen gulls attach, attack full-grown pigeons. They normally live side by side. It must have been a rare incident. I've rescued pigeons over the years, some with bad injuries, but I have never heard them scream. If those two gulls were classed as murderers, then humans must be serial killers with all the fish, chickens, cows, sheep, etc. we eat. I suppose Gillian King was joking that the gull's next victim could be a small child. Luckily, small children don't usually eat on bird feeders, so they should be safe. OK, then. Um, my letter is from George Moran of Worcester. Dear Editor, Not many people are talking about the government's police, crime, sentencing and courts bill. But if it passes Parliament, it will have an impact on all our lives. The bill gives unprecedented powers to the police to ban peaceful demonstrations outright and to ban noisy protests. The definition of a noisy protest includes a protest involving noise made by just one person. It's been revealed that the Police Federation was not consulted on this huge extension of police powers. Furthermore, a respected group of former police officers has expressed grave concerns. In a letter to the Home Secretary, they said, Echoing the concerns voiced by the National Police Chiefs Council, the NPCC, and other professional bodies, we believe that this bill has dangerous and harmful implications for the ability of police officers to enforce the law and for the health of our democracy as a whole. If the next time a group of residents, or even a single resident, wants to protest against a housing development or a council decision, the police could just say no. If any other of your readers are worried at the prospect of their right to protest being curtailed, I would encourage them to write to their MP and ask them to oppose this repressive legislation. Or they could support organisations like Unlock Democracy, which are campaigning against the bill. Well, this letter is from Tuesday, August the 24th, and is entitled We Need to Act to Save Our Oceans. This is from Sandra Grigg in Worcester. Dear Editor, Although I live in a landlocked county, I am still very concerned about the protection of our oceans and the damage that these natural areas are experiencing through high-intensity fishing vessels in protected areas. Sea patrollers are capable of catching and processing hundreds of tonnes of fish a day, with nets up to a mile long. They spend thousands of hours fishing in the UK marine protected areas every year, where they should not be. Our own fishermen work 17 times harder for the same size catches as 120 years ago. I ask this government, and particularly the Prime Minister, to keep to his commitment to a world of ocean protection. And now another take on the traffic problem in Worcester. And this is from Gary Kibblewhite, who is a regular correspondent. Dear Editor, over the last few weeks, we've all been trapped in Worcester by roadworks. Whatever route we take out of the city, we are held up in a traffic jam caused mainly by the utility companies putting in place new services for new builds. All those man-hours wasted while stuck in traffic jams. The people who I feel sorry for 
is the care workers and their clientele. Hundreds of workers, all on time-critical slots, either getting to our elderly or disabled community to help them to get up and dressed, getting them lunch, even putting them to bed on an evening. The clock never stops. The disruption caused is unbelievable to our elderly and vulnerable community, who all rely on the continuity of the care workers keeping time. Some are having to stay in bed, lying in wet or soiled underwear. Others wait hungry for food, while others are desperate to get to bed. So please think of others. Let drivers out into the mainstream moving traffic, leaving leave those yellow boxes clear, until your exit is clear. Be patient with fellow drivers. It may be your mother, father, grandfather, grandmother, brother, or sister. These drivers are going to help. Okay, my letter is from Brian Daniels from the Citizens Commission on Human Rights, United Kingdom. Dear editor, there are lots of people who think ECT therapy isn't used anymore. Many people think it's a psychiatric method that's only read about in history books. The truth, however, is that it's still being used in over a hundred ECT clinics across the UK. Also known as electric shock, it's been cloaked in controversy for decades. Psychiatrists are unlikely to accept responsibility for the damage being inflicted. Hence, the need to continually expose this abusive psychiatric method, so that governments recognise the inhumanity and take the necessary steps to protect vulnerable patients from this torture. Well, this letter is from Steve Blight from Worcester, and the title is "I Fear It's Too Late." Dear editor, I have just read in today's Worcester News that our much admired by himself, traffic guru, Councillor Alan Amos, has expressed his sincere concerns about Worcester's traffic. He states, I'm not going to bring this city to a standstill. Can someone please tell him not to worry too much about it as he's already managed it? I'm just going to add a, a, a little extra here simply because I think it's vital. Help restock food banks. People in Worcester are being urged to lace up their trainers and join Race Against Hunger in support of anti-poverty charity, the Trussell Trust. From experienced runners to complete novices, on Saturday, the twenty-fifth of September, everyone in Worcester is being called to run, jog, or walk alone or with families and friends, and help raise vital funds to help end the need for food banks in the UK. Fundraisers can choose their distance, plan their own route, and take on the event at a time that suits them. From a 5k jog to a marathon challenge, this is an opportunity for everyone to put their foot down on UK hunger and join the race against hunger. People joining the event not only will be standing alongside the Trussell Trust to help end the need for food banks in the UK. But they will also get training guides and support, T-shirt, a back sign, and ribbon armband to wear on the day. They'll be crossing the finishing line with Team Trussell. 
The Trussell Trust supports a nationwide network of more than 1,300 food bank centres, and together they provide emergency food and support to people locked in poverty. And to find out more, visit trusseltrust.org, oblique race against hunger. Right, now the articles. My first article is Crash Raid on Bookies. An eyewitness told of how a man was targeted by thieves in a dash-and-grab robbery before being run over by the suspects as they fled the scene. Video footage showed a man being hit by a car outside Ladbrokes in Worcester, with police confirming the victim had a significant quantity of cash stolen from him late Monday evening. And an eyewitness has revealed the thief had burst into Ladbrokes, where the man had been sitting using the betting machines, before snatching his wallet and fleeing to a getaway vehicle that the suspect's accomplice had parked outside. Speaking to the Worcester News, the observer who wished to remain anonymous said... I was chatting with the poor chap in Ladbrokes right at the time when the grubby villain burst in and stole his wallet. It was literally a dash and grab because we were sitting a few steps inside the door at the betting terminals. It appears he'd been lurking in and out of the shop all afternoon prior to me going in after I'd finished my shift at work. The witness described the events that unfolded after the the theft as surreal, comparing what he had seen to something out of an action movie. He leapt off his stool and chased out after him, but the robber managed to get into the car and shut the door before he could catch him, he said. He stood right in front of it and put his hands down on the bonnet, demanding they hand him his wallet back. Time seemed to stand still. I had my hands on my head in shock, thinking that he was probably going to get run over standing right in front of their path to getting away. He continued, but then the driver decided to go into reverse and that's when he clung on to the bonnet. That was the absolute surreal bit. He, the driver, reversed back with him, sprawled over the front of the bonnet, clinging on for dear life for maybe 50 yards back before stopping and then launched forwards, throwing the man off. After knocking the man to the floor, the car sped off through two red lights as they rushed to flee the scene. The victim was taken to hospital by paramedics after suffering a fracture to his ankle during the ordeal. A staff member at the Ladbrook store confirmed the victim was a regular, describing him as a really nice guy. He said CCTV footage had been passed to the police and a West Mercia police spokesman said, We were called to an incident at the Cross, Worcester, at just after 7.30pm on Monday, August 23rd, due to reports of a collision between a car and a pedestrian. Enquiries are underway to locate the vehicle and suspect. 
1,000 intricately painted handcrafted bees are creating a buzz down at the hive to raise money for St Richard's Hospice. The unique display of beautiful bees and five stunning flower sculptures were installed at the garden outside the hive yesterday. So that was last Thursday. Each bee was designed, crafted and hand-painted by craftsman Ed Alvis of Metal Art UK at his workshop near Evesham. Mr Alvis said, It has been so lovely here this morning seeing people and children stopping to admire the bees. This project is unlike anything I've ever worked on before. It was great to be able to go wild with the colours. Normally my work is quite muted. All of the sculptures are made from recycled materials given to me by people in the community. I used all sorts, scaffolding, bits of old appliances, even parts of a jet engine. Mr Alvis is well known from his appearances on television Scrap Kings for the Quest Channel and has a personal connection with the hospice. His father was cared for at home by St Richard's during a short illness before he died in 2013. He said he felt creating the bees for the celebration garden was an opportunity to showcase his gratitude for that help. People are being encouraged to be kind and make a donation for a bee sculpture in the garden to celebrate or remember someone or something special, which they can later take home as a keepsake or a gift. Donations to help create this sculpture installation will help fund St Richard's care of patients, their loved ones and the bereaved in Worcestershire. Fundraising director Tricia Cavell said the bees will create a memorable and stunning garden which will be an ideal focal point for celebration and reflection. We felt bees are particularly appropriate this year as they work together as a community, just as the people of Worcestershire have done, especially during the pandemic, supporting each other and the hospice to continue to care. Donors will be invited to collect a bee from the hive garden from the hospice or by postal delivery after the installation is dismantled. To order a bee online, visit www.strichards.org.uk forward slash celebration hyphen garden hyphen 2021 or secure one by calling the St Richard's Hospice fundraising team on 01905 958262. Well, here we have a letter uh, from Monday, August 23rd, and this is on the subject of planning. And the title is, um, in fact, it's uh, not a letter, I'm sorry, it's an article. And this specter makes room for change. Another room will be allowed to be built in a city HMO despite parking concerns after a government inspector overruled the council. The U-turn means another room built as an existing six-room house of multiple occupations staying burn close in Worcester. Worcester City Council planners rejected the plan earlier this year, saying adding an extra room would make the HMO too cramped for the people living there, as well as causing disruption for neighbours. The government's planning inspectorate has now overturned the decision and disagreed with the council that the rooms would be too small. A report from the planning inspectorate outlining the decision said... The proposed HMO will comprise three rooms of accommodation at ground floor, with a further three rooms at first floor, with one within the attic. All these rooms exceed the council's internal space requirements for an HMO and incorporate ensuite facilities. Each room also includes a window for outlook. These, along with the proposed utility area and the communal kitchens and dining area, which is a practical layout, will provide adequate internal space for up to seven occupants. 
Whilst I note the council concerns about the sunrooms being located close to the entrance and adjacent to parking and amenity areas, such arrangements are not uncommon for this type of accommodation and are unlikely to comprise the overall quality of these rooms. Several neighbours have opposed the plan before it was rejected by the City Council with residents fearing that allowing more people to live in the HMO would add to parking problems in the residential area. One objector in Stainburn Close said, We are concerned about the parking in our close. We already have an HMO in our road which requires six parking spaces. This is turning. This is a turning circle which is regularly blocked. We also have a school opposite which means the parents and teachers also park in our close. Rejecting the proposals earlier this year, planners at the City Council said seven rooms would result in inadequate space for the people living there and the limited shared kitchen and garden space would cause harm to their amenity. The next article, ex-soldier beat up former partner. A former soldier and mixed martial art enthusiast beat up his partner in front of a child, giving her a black eye and bruising. Michael McLeod of Hill Street, Worcester, admitted assault occasioning actual bodily harm during a prolonged attack which lasted around an hour when he appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court. The 30-year-old threw punches, delivered slaps and grabbed the woman by the throat, at one stage pinning her to the sofa. During the attack in January, said Melanie Winterflood, prosecuting, the assault left her with bruising to her face and scratches. The Crown accepted the attack did not take place all evening and stopped and started. It lasted about one hour. It was certainly sustained. She was quite clear there were punches, said the prosecutor. A probation officer who interviewed the defendant appeared over live video link, saying the defendant was remorseful but lacked victim empathy. She said McLeod had told her the relationship had been amazing up until he was discharged from the army in 2016 and the couple moved to Worcester, where the victim is close to her family. The defendant felt that her family held a great deal of influence over her, and this was a source of arguments between the two, the probation officer told the bench. He denied that there had been any violence in the relationship before this. In 2019, the relationship had come to an end. She said it was not a harmonious end to the relationship. The couple did remain friends, but there was what she called some needling between the two. He had invited the victim for food on the day of the offence, and MacLeod said the assault happened within an hour and that he knew what he did was wrong. However, she also added, there was an element of victim-blaming. He said he didn't start the altercation. The victim did. He said there was a lot of build-up to it. Although she said he was remorseful for his behaviour and does accept his guilt, she also said, It's my assessment, having spoken to him, he does lack the appropriate level of victim empathy required. She told the court the defendant now lived in a one-bedroom flat 
that he had been in the army for eight years and was medically discharged in 2016 with PTSD and chronic back pain. He has his own business as a loft board installer and also takes part in martial arts training. Philip Newton, the chairman of the bench, said, We agree that this was culpability, a matter particularly because of the length of time of the various assaults, what we class as prolonged and persistent, but also significantly because of the presence of a child during the incident. Overall, is this so serious it has passed a custody threshold? Yes, we do find it so serious it has passed the custody threshold. After lengthy deliberations in private, magistrates imposed an 18-month community order with 35 rehabilitation activity requirement days. McLeod will also be made subject to a six-month electronically administered curfew, which will run from 9.30pm to 6.30am. That will give you time to do your mixed martial arts training in the evening, said Mr Newton. Further to this, McLeod must pay a £95 victim surcharge and a contribution to court costs of £185. OK, I've got a sports article from today and the headline is We Want Change. Worcester City has joined a coalition of football clubs calling for change in how the game is governed. City signed up to the Fair Game Coalition on Tuesday, August the 24th, which sees value-driven clubs working together to improve governance in football in England and Wales. Worcester City joined 20 other clubs, including Accrington Stanley, Bristol Rovers, Carlisle United, Leighton Orient, Lincoln City, Luton Town, Newport County, Tranmere Rovers and AFC Wimbledon as members. Luke Cox, director of the club, said, Worcester City Football Club is enthused to join a rich tapestry of like-minded football clubs across England and Wales to call for change in how football is governed. Football needs significant changes to protect the future of our football clubs and leagues. We are aligned with our new fellow fair game clubs in that we wish to see football governed with fairness, openness and transparency at its core. We are so proud to be a part of our local community and strive to do good within it through Worcester City. Fair Game is working with a team of over 30 world-renowned experts to find long-term solutions to issues affecting the game. These issues include protecting the heritage of clubs, a fairer distribution of TV revenues, opposing the European Super League and tackling discrimination. The organisation also has the backing of several senior politicians, including Shadow Minister for Sport, Alison McGovern, the Mayor of Greater Manchester, Andy Burnham, and a Conservative MP, Damien Green, who is a leading member of the Department for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport Committee. Niall Cooper, Director of Fair Games, said, I am delighted that Worcester City have joined. Fair Game is calling for fairness, sustainability and success. At Fair Game, we want long-term realistic solutions and we believe we can deliver them. 
We want a sport where every fan can put their shirt on in the morning, proud in what it stands for, safe in the knowledge that the traditions and heritage of their club will always be there. To find out more about Fair Game, visit www.fairgameuk.org. Well, this is uh, another planning article uh, from Monday, August the 23rd, and it's entitled Fears Over Shelter. More concerns have been raised about a plan to build a homeless shelter in the city centre. The student housing block caught muse in Worcester's Farrier Street will be converted into a 48-room shelter as part of plans revealed by Manchester-based Growler Developments. Several independent businesses who have helped revitalise the neglected parts of the city centre fear their hard work will be ruined by a plan to build the city's biggest homeless refuge on their doorstep and have raised concerns about antisocial behaviour and drug-taking. In an objection to the council, Sam McCarthy from Worcester Bid, I think that's Business Information District, said building the shelter would deter businesses from moving to the area. She said... This development will stop further development in the area and may well make existing businesses move away from the area or out of Worcester completely. This could lose jobs for local people, evidently uh, already by, uh, raised by concerns raised by neighbouring businesses such as Worcester White House Hotel, the Burger Shop and the University of Worcester, she added. The South Worcestershire Development Plan states it supports strategies that focus on sustaining and regenerating South Worcestershire city and town centres as priority areas for regeneration. This kind of development will stop this happening in this area. The aspirations for the area are to develop the nighttime economy and this will therefore not provide the homeless the immunity they require. Jack Evans, who has opened a bespoke furniture workshop in one of the city's arches, says he has moved to the city centre on the premise that the area was being revitalised. I located my business here in the knowledge that the council would be demolishing the chicken takeaway to create a walkway between Forgate Street and the river, he said. The prospect of an improved infrastructure and increased football was the deciding factor for me locating in the arches. It seems to me that the proposal conflict the plan to regenerate the arches and create a culture destination. Locating a homeless refuge at Court Muse would inevitably have a negative effect on me and other local businesses, with people being put off from visiting the area. Rachel Mitchell, manager of the nearby White House Hotels, said it would have a devastating impact on the hotel and prevent tourists from visiting the area. In a lengthy submission to the council, she said, as the responsible organisation will be remote, who will be registering and liaising with the residents, going through the procedures, rules and assessing their needs on a daily basis. I understand that the member of security will be provided, which is itself indicative that trouble is expected and that the management of the property will be operating remotely. In other such accommodation, the ratio is far higher with several support staff on site 24-7. Now an article about animals. Fight for the Future of Animal Sanctuary The founder of a sanctuary near Evesham fears having to put down many farm animals unless nearly £1 million can be raised to fund the purchase of land. Jan Taylor, 81, has run the Farm Animal Sanctuary from Manor Orchard Farm, Middle Littleton, for more than 20 years, having initially started in Bromsgrove 30 years ago. 
more than 600 animals and birds rescued from abuse, neglect, slaughter and abandonment live there and are cared for by staff and volunteers until the end of their natural lives. The sanctuary survived an eviction notice from the previous owner approximately three or four years ago, but the current owner who bought the land to save the sanctuary now plans to sell up. Miss Taylor has a lease until 2024, but no certainty over its renewal unless she finds £944,000 to buy the land and she's launched a Just Giving page to rescue the sanctuary. She explained that moving on would not be an option, having spent years and significant sums of money rebuilding barns, setting out paddocks and building field shelters. It would also be illegal to move some of the animals who are approaching the end of their lives. We won't be able to renew the lease. The owner has made that very clear, said Miss Taylor. We have been offered the chance to buy it. He has said he would prefer us to buy it. But at nearly £1 million, it's not going to be easy to do. It has been on the market since Christmas. No one has been to see the property yet, but time is of the essence. There is no way we would be able to move. It would be impossible. Welfare laws prevent some of the animals being moved. All of the people who work here know the animals as well. We keep them until the end of their lives and need those same people caring for them. It's very important. When we came here, both barns were falling down. They needed a lot of repair and there was very little fencing. We have built up paddocks, field shelters, things like that, and we would not find that built and set up anywhere else for us to take care of the animals we have. To donate to the cause, visit the Sanctuary's Just Giving page. A controversial plan to build 50 homes on a former city golf course has been put back on the table despite being rejected by the council. The affordable housing could be built on the former Tolladine Golf Course in Worcester by Housing Association Bromford with three homes in nearby Darwin Avenue demolished to make way. Worcester City Council's planning committee went against the recommendation of its own planning officers and rejected the proposals in June after hearing the land was some of the only accessible green space in the city for hundreds of residents. Despite the rejection, Bromford have now resubmitted the exact same plan with significantly enhanced landscaping, which it says addresses the concerns raised by the planning committee when it was rejected. Bromford has proposed a mix of one to four bedroom homes, which the Housing Association will go a long way in providing much needed affordable homes in the city. A statement included with the application says... The application is the resubmission of the earlier application refused at Planning Committee. It proposes 50 dwellings in a sustainable location on land allocated, or proposed to be allocated, for residential development in the South Worcestershire Development Plan, SWDP, and its review. 
The key difference between this application and the previous refused application is that this application proposes significantly enhanced landscaping in response to planning committee's concerns. Last year, a campaign was set up to stop the homes being built, with residents saying if the plan went ahead, it would mean swapping priceless natural fields for pollution and congestion. A petition against the plans attracted more than 800 signatures and more than 25 objections were made against the plan to the City Council, with Warden Parish Council also objecting. Campaigners said the fields are next to a local nature reserve and used regularly by families and young people, dog walkers and nature photographers who already have very few places left to go. Concerns were also raised by Warden Councillor Andy Roberts, who was critical of applicant Bromford's claims about an oversupply of green space in Warden, adding that it was ludicrous to draw lines through green space and did not want to see green space in Worcester rationed. Well, this is an article um, about GP's patients and in fact leads on from the Worcester show, which was um, enjoyed a uh, record turnout earlier this year, and it reads... It was great uh, to be back talking to people face-to-face at the Worcester Show on the 15th of August. The main issue we were discussing with people is how they feel about accessing health services online. It is such a key issue at the moment, and the topic is of such importance to have a chance to discuss in person rather than online. During COVID-19, GP practices and increasingly hospitals have been using telephone and video call consultations in place of face-to-face appointments. This has also been an increase in use of online services such as email and text messaging, communication and ordering of prescriptions. We want to understand more about what people think about finding information and communicating with health services online. We know that not everybody has access to the internet or finds it easy to use. If you would be happy to complete our survey by phone or by post, or if you're organising a group or event that we think we could attend and talk to people directly about this issue, please get in touch. Will we use the feedback we receive to tell health services about the things they need to consider when they are planning how services will operate in the future? We always want to hear your experiences of using local health and social care services. People can contact us, give us feedback or about any service or issue. We are currently especially keen to hear about experiences of GP practices. We would like to know how easy you find contacting your practice by phone, arranging appointments and getting to see a doctor face-to-face if you need to as there are some issues that have been raised with us recently. Please get in touch to share your experiences of local health and social care services in confidence to help us make a difference. You can call us on 01386 550264 or email us at info at healthwatchworcestershire, that's all one word, .co.uk or give your feedback via the TELUS page of our website at www.healthcareworcestershire.co.uk. And now, something a little bit different. One of Mike Grundy's Worcester Memories articles. uh, When music superstars graced the city's stage. And I thought it was particularly appropriate because it mentions the Everly Brothers and the second Everly Brother died this week. Worcester had the great good fortune to bask in a glittering golden era of spectacular live stage shows during the years from 1955 to 1970. 
Regularly to the stage of the Gourmont in Fourgate Street came many of the world's chart-topping pop stars and most of the legendary names of the rock and roll era. People of the city and county could not believe their good luck in being privileged to see and hear live such fabulous entertainers as Buddy Holly and the Crickets, Roy Orbison, the Beatles, the Everly Brothers, Jimi Hendrix, David Bowie, Jerry Lee Lewis, Little Richard, the Rolling Stones, Cliff Richard and the Shadows, the Seekers, Dion Warwick, Jean Vincent, Shirley Bassey, Alma Cogan, Johnny Duncan and the Bluegrass Boys, the Platters and Dusty Springfield. I was fortunate enough to be at the Gourmont for the visits of, among other legends, Buddy Holly and the Crickets, March 1958, and Roy Orbison and the Beatles, 1963. After 1965, the big shows at the Gourmont tapered off to just one or two a year. But the top stars kept coming, including David Bowie, Jimi Hendrix, Engelbert Humperdinck, the Rockin' Berries, Mary Hopkin and the Seekers. Imagine nowadays trying to get together lineups of stars of this international stature for one-night gigs. It would need arenas the size of London's O2, Wembley Stadium, the Birmingham NEC or National Indoor Arena or Madison Square Gardens. Yet, for between five shillings and sixpence and fifteen shillings, Worcester people were able to back then to book their places in the 1,800-seat auditorium of the Gourmont Palladium to see those greats. And there were also gourmand treats for culture vultures, including ballet, orchestral concerts and a week-long visit by the Carl Rosa Opera Company, which I also covered, including performances of La Boheme, The Barber of Seville, Rigoletto and Il Trovatore. Shortly after the dawn of the rock and roll era, I was sent as a junior reporter of 17 to the Gourmont Cinema for all six nights of the showing of the Billy, Bill Haley film Rock Around the Clock. Its screening elsewhere in the country had already been causing a frenzy among young people who had been dancing in the aisles at cinemas and jiving in the streets. At Bootle, Lancashire, police baton charged a thousand rock and rollers in the town centre. For your amusement, here are extracts from my report of 1956 from the Gourmont. That crazy rock and roll rhythm hit Worcester with a bang last night, when even police intervention failed to quell the enthusiasm of about 40 teenagers who persisted in rocking and rolling in the aisles of the Gourmont. Soon after the film had started, these youngsters, driven seemingly almost into a frenzy by the insistent tempo, let their feelings go as they swayed and threw each other round in dance. Their behaviour proved too much for the Gourmont manager, who called in outside help. In walked a sturdy police sergeant and a constable, who immediately marched out three youths in Edwardian suits. We weren't allowed to call them teddy boys back then. <laughs> Many of their friends decided to walk out in sympathy. 
and silence descended on the packed audience for a few minutes. But then the youngsters were dancing in the aisles again, and more were ejected from the cinema. One woman who stormed out in disgust told me, "It was one of the most disgusting, noisy exhibitions I have ever seen. It is about time some of these boys and girls learned to grow up." Follow that. Um, a judge jailed a paedophile after hearing he had lived with a ten-year-old child without the consent of the parents or social services. Wayne Scarrett had asked the judge through his barrister for anything but custody, as he is expecting a child. But recorder Martin Butterworth said only immediate custody would be appropriate in the case. The 27-year-old admitted breaching a sexual harm prevention order in April, and in June was found guilty. After a magistrate's trial, he failed to attend of a second count of failing to comply with notification requirements of the order. Ilana Davis, prosecuting, explained Scarrett was convicted of two counts of sexual activity with a 14-year-old child and a further count of causing or inciting a child to engage in sexual activity. The offence is taking place in 2012. Miss Davis told Worcester Crown Court on Wednesday, as a result of that conviction, he was made subject to notification requirements and issued with an indefinite sexual offences prevention order. Under the order, he was prohibited from living in the same household of any child under the age of 16, unless with the consent of the child's parents, with knowledge of the conviction and with the approval of social services. Miss Davis said after being released from prison in February, between March 17th and April 8th, Scarrett stayed at the Droitwich address of his girlfriend, their parents and a child. He registered his brother's address in Evesham as his place of residence after release from prison, Miss Davis said. Police found he was living at an address in Droitwich. The address belonged to the family of his girlfriend. But also living at the address were her parents and a 10-year-old. Neither of the parents or girlfriend were aware of Mr Scarrett's convictions, nor had social services approved. Mr Scarrett lived there for three weeks. The prosecutor added it was a persistent breach as he stayed there three weeks. He had been on police bail when the offences were committed and the Crown said there was a high risk to the child. Andrew Davidson, defending Scarrett who appeared on video link, said his client could be rehabilitated, adding, his girlfriend has struck by him. She is pregnant and will have the baby. He needs help. He says custody this time will impact very heavily. He knows he wants to be there for the child. Sentencing, Scarrett, of no fixed address, recorder Butterworth said, fact is, this was a persistent breach because every night you spent under the same roof as a 10-year-old child was an occasion when you were breaching the order deliberately. You continued to do so until police visited and you were arrested. The judge said, in not realising Scarrett's offending, this would have caused significant distress to the mother of the child. He sentenced Scarrett to two years jail, added he had considered suspending it, but a judge appropriate... Punishment can only be achieved by immediate custody. You will serve half the remainder on licence. Well, this is an article from Tuesday, August 24th, about the University of Worcester. <coughs> the 
title there is University is on Awards Shortlist. The University of Worcester has been shortlisted as Nurse Education Provider of the Year, pre-registration, for the seventh time in an all-time record for any English university. The university is shortlisted in the Student Nursing Times Awards, which recognise the people and places educating the next generation of healthcare professionals. Professor David Green, CBE, DL, the university's Vice-Chancellor and Chief Executive, said... In a year when our healthcare professionals have rightly won the nation's hearts, it is wonderful to learn that Worcester College's dedication to educating the next generation of healthcare professionals has been recognised in this way. There is test- this is testament to the top-class work of our outstanding nursing and midwifery educators, together with the highly professional mentors in the health trust with whom we work. Now, more than ever, we need many more high-quality health professionals in our hospitals and community settings. At the University of Worcester, we are committed to doing all we can to help the nation and global, national and global efforts to recover from this devastating pandemic. Last summer, the University of Worcester was awarded the largest allocation of additional health training places in the country. A total of 473 extra places per year have been created and have been steadily filled. This September, there are more new places for nursing programmes, with placements available across the three counties of Worcestershire, Herefordshire and Gloucestershire, as well as in the West Midlands, including Dudley and Hales Owen. Robert Dudley, head of the Three Counties School of Nursing and Midwifery at the university, said, We are thrilled to have been shortlisted for a seventh time as Nurse Education Provider of the Year, pre-registration, in the Students' Nursing Times Award. Our staff and practice partners work incredibly hard to provide the best possible education for our students who go on to make an enormous contribution to their communities. <coughs> excuse me, communities. Healthcare students at Worcester benefit from well-qualified, creative, enthusiastic, supportive staff and have access to some exceptional learning facilities. The university works in close collaboration with employers, including the NHS, and Worcester graduates are among the most employable in the country. This award shortlisting builds on the many successes of the university in recent times, which have included being named number one in the UK for the quality education for the last three years in the Times Higher Education Rankings, and being shortlisted for the University of the Year three times in the awards and twice in the UK Social Mobility Awards and being named Sustainability Institution of the Year in the 2019 Green Gown Awards. And now an article which follows up something which was brought to our attention a few weeks ago in the Worcester News. Fresh push for support. A mum given two months to live at the end of June has renewed her appeal to help fund private treatment for triple negative breast cancer. Lauren Maddock, 28, hit her £50,000 target to head to Mexico for pioneering treatment that is not available on the NHS, but was too ill to travel. In the meantime, she's been utilising private treatment options, including capsules that cost £2,500 per month to get back to a level of health that would allow her to go. She was hit with the devastating news this week that her cancer has spread, trebling in her liver. However, Lauren refuses to give up hope as she battles to see seven-year-old daughter Penny and four-year-old son Arthur grow up and has asked for extra help to buy time and explore more treatment options. 
I have not specified an amount yet, but more donations to the PayPal account would be so wonderful right now, she said. The capsules alone cost me £2,500 per month, so the £50,000 is running out. We've had more terrible news that the cancer has spread. We're shocked and devastated, as I've been trying so hard, clearly not hard enough. We are a strong family. I have a strong mind, but my body is weak. I look well, I know I do. I take care of our nutrition and research as much as I can, but I still need help. Liver transplant, bone marrow, Gerson therapy, oxygen chambers, intravenous vitamin C and D. I need it all and more I may not know about. Please help any way you can. Share, study, donate. I'll be forever grateful and so will my family. I'd always do anything for just one more day. Lauren was first diagnosed with cancer in November 2019 and was given six months to live in early June. But more recent tests showed her prognosis to be more precarious. You can donate to Lauren's cause via her PayPal page. Okay, my story is um, by a gentleman called Tony Frobisher. And it's why I'm so proud of my daughter. The Olympics treated us to many inspiring feats of performance over the summer and the upcoming Paralympics will certainly treat us to many more. In our lives, we all have those close to us who inspire us, just like those Olympians. In my life, it's my daughter, Louisa. In 2006, my wife, Rini, went into early labour while carrying triplets. She gave birth firstly to Jewel and then two days later to Louisa and Mila. The girls weighed just 630 grams, 620 grams and 665 grams respectively. Jewel was very poorly and sadly only lived for 17 days. Mila was diagnosed with severe spastic quadriplegia cerebral palsy and while she took so much of our attention, Louisa also had her own challenges. She was unable to talk until she was around three and a half and was unable to walk without the aid of support initially due to lack of confidence and lack of vision. Acorns offered short breaks for our daughters and we were very grateful to be able to rest from the exhausting care of two disabled children. In 2016, while on a family trip to visit my wife's family in Indonesia, Mila suddenly became very poorly and within the space of three days passed away from sepsis. We were devastated, our world collapsed. Acorns were there for us again. They helped us with bereavement counselling and offered Louisa sibling support. In 2018, Louisa wanted to do something to remember Mila and raise money for Acorns. We planned a short run, one lap of Worcester race course, a distance of around two miles. Given Louisa's poor vision, running has always been a challenge, but she was determined to do it. The following year, Louisa walked and climbed four miles. That was the furthest she's ever walked, along the Morven Hills to the summit of the Worcestershire Beacon, 425 metres. 
Videos of her completing both events went viral and brought in many donations from kind strangers, raising over £3,000 for Acorns. She was interviewed by BBC Hereford and Worcester and attracted admiration from sports people, including Dame Kelly Holmes, Sir Chris Hoy and Olympic cycling champion Marianne Voss. I'm so proud of Louisa for her determination and what she has achieved, despite many hurdles. Thanks to her, the money raised for Acorns will support many other families just like ours. Well, this is an article uh, again, Tuesday, August 24th, um, and it's entitled Digging to Save Course. A petition is growing in a bid to save the archaeology degree at a Worcester University after the decision to scrap the course frustrated members of the community. Cat Lodge, senior archaeologist for the North Somerset Council, said she started the petition because she was outraged at hearing the University of Worcester's decision. <clears throat> she called the decision an absolute abomination. The 34-year-old studied at the university in 2012, as the focus of British archaeology attracted her to the course. She said, I was absolutely overjoyed at the prospect of studying in a department with such a great reputation. I achieved a first-class honours, BSc, and even though I was quite unwell during my final year, I received amazing support from staff to assist me in reaching the end of my degree. She said she couldn't imagine studying elsewhere and wanted to take advantage of the range of equipment resources provided to students, as well as the experience of the staff. She said, I wanted to do something to ensure that their voices were heard and to make the university aware that while it may be a small department, it created a family which spans two decades of students and staff who all feel so incredibly lucky to have the opportunity to study there. None of this would be possible without the skills and knowledgeable bestowed uh, upon the staff at Worcester and through the opportunities that were presented to me during the degree. The archaeologist says the petition will be presented to the university's leaders to force them to reconsider the decision. The target for Change.org petition has 7,500 signatures and has topped 5,300 so far. Miss Lodge said staff and students at Sheffield University had also recently been informed of the closure of their archaeology department, but this is still open to consultation at present, and they created a petition to help raise awareness of this. That's not the case at Worcester. The University Executive Board made the decision without consulting staff and students and will be making all five staff members redundant by July 2022. The department at Worcester may be small, but it's perfectly formed and the range of opportunities available to students are second to none. The University took the decision despite 100% student satisfaction figures for the last two years and the highest graduate employment rate in the country. She added, archaeology isn't just about digging holes, it offers opportunities to critically analyse the world around us and to help us better understand our collective heritage and for communities to feel like they have a sense of place. Drink ban is extended. The extension of a ban on street drinking in Worcester officially came into effect last week as police confirmed they've not yet handed out any fines. Worcester City Council's Communities Committee agreed at a meeting in May that the Public Space Protection Order, PSPO, introduced in 2018 would be extended for another three years, having been due to expire on August 13th. This bans the drinking of alcohol in certain areas of Worcester, including the city centre, as well as Brickfields, Blackpool, Industrial Estates, Gellervelt Park and several residential roads. 
Anyone violating the order may be asked to give up any booze on them, and breaking the rules is a criminal offence that could result in a fixed penalty notice of up to seventy pounds, or, if prosecuted via a magistrate's court, a maximum fine of one thousand pounds. West Mercia Police has confirmed there have yet to be any fines handed out. Chief Inspector Jessica Loxley Clark said, "While no fixed penalties have been given, the ability to request that that open containers and their contents are disposed of has meant potential offenders now appear to be reluctant to gather in the PSPO area." The Safer Neighbourhood team uses education rather than enforcement when dealing with those who are vulnerable and have alcohol addictions. While more serious offences are dealt with via public order legislation and arrests for breaching community behaviour orders, that said, the PSPO is proving effective in helping us reduce antisocial behaviour incidents. During the Euros, we saw large, mainly well-natured crowds gather in Worcester city centre, but they were not seen to be drinking in the streets after the matches. Councillor James Stanley, who chairs the Communities Committee, is confident the extension is the right thing to do. He said, "The public consultation we launched earlier this year showed broad support for extending it for a further three years." I am confident that banning drinking on our streets will continue to help make Worcester a more attractive place to live and visit. We have seen a fall in the number of alcohol-related incidents of antisocial behaviour in the city centre since the public space protection order was originally introduced in 2018. Well, now we've reached the end of this recorded edition. My thanks to Moira, Jules, and John for reading and recording, and of course to Carol Hartle for leading the vital admin provision. We hope you've enjoyed listening, and that you'll be back for more next time. So, best wishes from me, Evelyn, and from all the team. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. And now we come to the obituaries. Alty Ivor Thomas passed away peacefully on the thirteenth of August, twenty twenty-one, aged seventy-two, following a long illness bravely borne. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on the twenty-fourth of September at three fifteen p.m. Then afterwards at the New Checkers, Aspwood Road, Worcester, WR three eight HD. Family flowers only, please. Bruce Morby, formerly of WCH, passed away at Worcester Royal Hospital on July twenty fourth, twenty twenty one. Funeral at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, the thirty first of August, twenty twenty one, at nine thirty a.m. Family flowers only. David Stone, passed away suddenly but peacefully on August the ninth, twenty twenty one, aged sixty nine years. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, September the seventh, at eleven thirty a.m. Family flowers only, please. John Henry Bokey Bokit passed away peacefully at home on the fifteenth of August, aged seventy. 
The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium, Friday the 3rd of September at 1.45. Family flowers only. Langford, nay White, Carol Jean, suddenly while on holiday on the 22nd of July, aged 79. Due to current restrictions, a private funeral service will take place on Wednesday the 8th of September at 2.30. And the service will be screened live in the Graham Hick Pavilion at Worcester County Cricket Club. Sturgis, Barbara Marjorie, passed away peacefully at home in the early morning of Tuesday, August the 10th, aged 95. Already massively missed by her family. A service of thanksgiving celebrating her long and eventful life is to be held at the Vale Crematorium, Evesham Road, Vladbury, on September the 3rd at 2pm. Family flowers only, please. Hitchings, Doreen, formerly of Bilford Road, passed away peacefully on the 4th of August, aged 80. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday 1st of September at 11.30. Family flowers only, please. Humphrey, Kenneth Ambrose, 5-12-1940 to 2-8-2021, loving father and grandfather. Funeral service to take place at St Nicholas Church, Ulster, at 12 noon on 31st of August. Family flowers only, please. Baldwin, Hubert, known as Clive, of St John's Worcester, passed away peacefully at St Richard's Hospice on 30th of July 2021, aged 93 years. There are no funeral details given, but donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. Beck, Kevin Martin, site manager at Regency High School, passed away peacefully at home on the 10th of August 2021, aged 62 years. Funeral service at St Barnabas Church on Thursday the 2nd of September at 9.30am, followed by interment at Aswood Cemetery at 10.30am. Family flowers only, please. Alan Perks of Pinvin died peacefully at home on Wednesday, August the 18th, 2021, aged 84 years. Funeral will be held at 11am on Friday the 3rd of September 2021 at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury. Donations in Alan's memory are invited for St Richard's Hospice. Saunders, David Norman, passed away suddenly on Sunday August the 8th 2021, aged 62 years. The funeral service will take place at St Peter's Church Poick on Friday, September the 3rd at 11am, followed by interment in the churchyard. Family flowers only, please. <laughs> 